morning. Um, before I dive into the things that I had planned, this is always dangerous, right, Debbie? Um, oh, I just want to say, Pastor Mitch, thank you. Um, you may not have known why you chose the songs that you chose. And when you started, I wondered why, because I don't have much to do with my message. But after about um, the middle of the third song, God did something in me. So thank you. When we're young, we say stupid things. When I was 13, it was easy to say, God, I'll go anywhere you want to do anything that you ask me to do. So if you're 13, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to be mean to you, but when you're 13, you say things that you should not be held accountable for when you're 33. How many of you agree with that? How many of you said something at 13 that you're hoping the world forgets? How many of you aren't voting no matter what I ask? You won't put your hand up. If I ask for volunteers to receive a million dollars, your hand's not going up. All right, good. We've established that. So when I was 13 and I said, God, I'll go anywhere, do anything, and, and I knew that that meant full-time ministry, I didn't know where I was going to have to go. I didn't know I had to go to San Antonio. Oh, God bless San Antonio, Texas. I did time in Texas. 18 months, long months. This is going to be on the internet, right? Oh, I love San Antonio. I love, love the pastor, love the church, love everything about it. If I turn away from the camera and I make a face, does that kind of offset everything? I didn't know that that was going to take me to Milwaukee, where, where her grandpa would say when I took the church, I feel sorry for that young man. Didn't know that's what it's going to mean. Didn't know that. I didn't know that I'd have to move to Oakland, California. And I didn't. I didn't plan it. But God did. And I didn't know that they would someday put the title doctor in front of my name. It's not was not my goal. But one day, actually in this building, God said, "I want you to do that." And I said, "Why?" And He said, "Because you can." And that's the dumbest reason in the world to get a PhD. It really is. There's, and it's the dumbest reason in the world to go into teaching because you can. But that's, God gave me that reason and so I did it. I went into my oral defense, my dissertation, saying, I know I can do this. Wasn't that nervous. In fact, it was a busy, hectic day. I went in and knew, knew, knowing that I could. And so when the school asked me in, in March if I would move to Oakland and become the chief academic officer, God again said, because you can. And that's the dumbest reason in the world to become an academic dean. But it's the only reason God gave me. Because he needed me to and because I can. So we are moving sometime over the summer. If you want to buy a house, 189, we'll get it done. You can move into Glendale. <laughs> Might go down to 188.5 if you wanted to negotiate a little bit. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, in all seriousness, we, do, we are moving over the summer. It's an enormous step of faith. Um, uh, my wife has quit her job and we're, we're moving <laughs> and, that's just, and you don't know when you say yes God I'll do it what it means but parents let me tell you something if you think that's a reason to tell your kids no well, I just want to ask you one question okay just one and if you can get away from this one question then, then we're good why would you ever want to ask your, your kid to step out of the will of God Okay? If you, can, if you can ask your kid to step out of the will of God, then we're good. 
I'm fine with that. If you don't want your kid to become a foreign missionary because you want them to step out of the will of God, that's cool. Right? You can answer to God for that, but that's, I'll be okay. But that one question alone should keep you up at night. If your kid comes, when your kid comes and says, God called me into ministry, that should keep you up at night. How could I say no to that? See, our, our brother Welch is lucky because when his kids said yes to ministry, they just all have kind of populated in the Milwaukee area. They're trying to get the monopoly on Assemblies of God churches in the greater metropolitan area. People either who he knows or he gave birth to or something like that. Have you noticed on Mother's Day, moms are the ones who gave birth? But during the pregnancy, we are giving birth? How does that happen? I, sometimes, I miss that. And then we come to Father, oh yeah, dads are probably important too. Fatherhood is extraordinarily important, is it not? You are defined by your father. No, I'm not. My dad wasn't even around. Yeah? And the attitude you have when you say that has defined you. For better or for worse, you are defined by your father. So when I told my dad that I was moving to Oakland, I knew what his response would be. I knew he'd be sad because it's a long ways away from him. I knew he would never, ever for a moment question my decision. Because he had said yes to me doing whatever God wanted a long time ago. We are defined by our parents and we are defined in our decision making by our fathers. What do you do when you get a little older and you're not sure what to do? Don't you usually look back and say, what would dad do? We are defined by their decision making. And even though you may not want to think at 16, 17, or even 19, that someday you will say, what would dad do? You will eventually say, what would dad do? And that's pretty much, you're going to try to figure that out, and you're pretty much going to do that. And so we are defined by them. The, the thing becomes, though, that we do not always put the two words that are on the screen together. And while we are defined by fatherhood, we often do not look at dads and say, they are so full of grace. We tend to think of moms as being full of grace, right? Mostly because we don't completely understand God's grace. We think of grace as being leniency. And so that causes a problem. You know, we associate these words with the word grace. All right, I'm going to just, I'm going to count to three. And on three, I want you to just shout out a word that you think of when you, think, when you hear the word grace, okay? One, two. Does anybody know what we're going to do when I say the next number? You're going to shout out the word that you think of when I say the word grace, okay? One, two, three. See, we, we think of a lot of things like gracefulness. You all know why he was on, on crutches. He had this graceful moment in the parking lot and he thought he was young but he's, what, my age? We, we graduated the same year from high school, right? That makes you 44 or 45 right in there, right? So, and we're not as young as we used to be, are we? We sometimes think of, um, we think of leniency, and then we don't think of fathers, right? How many of you, your dad could go off for 20 minutes on nothing? Your dad could lecture for 20 minutes on socks in the middle of the living room floor. Even though your socks were laying right next to his, that's 20 minutes right there. 
And when you have the nerve to say, but my socks are next to yours, that's 30 minutes after that. We're really good at that stuff, we dads. We, we're, you know how we're really good at the make more than one trip? What's the matter with you? You only brought me one bolt. I needed 20. I told you to bring the whole bag. Would you go back and get the... And we, so we don't always think of grace, right? Because we don't think of that as being grace. Grace is supposed to be leniency, butterflies, unicorns, happy, happy rainbows. Oh, isn't that a great picture of her? It's like she's standing outside the lion cage at the zoo, isn't it? We don't always think about graciousness. We don't we we sometimes think about the old lady How many of you have a friend named Grace? You have a friend. Uh, uh, there's three of us in the room with a friend whose name is Grace. There's more than that. I'm certain. We, we all know. And maybe you even have an Aunt Grace. Is it my imagination or does, does Aunt Grace have a beard? We don't... <laughs> I wonder how long I can leave that up without it becoming distracting. <laughs> Thank you so much to my partner in crime here, Keenan. You're a great sport, I really. We had a lot of fun taking pictures. We don't always think about grace when it comes to fatherhood. We don't always put those two things together. Consequently, we miss the point, and some of the time is that we have missed what grace actually means. We may think about a woman named Grace, but a father named Grace? Now, isn't that truly outrageous? Isn't that something that we wouldn't even stop to consider? How could you have a father named Grace? That's one of those hippie things you do to your kids, you know? You laugh about it for the next 50 years that you named your son? Never mind. (laughs) And because we miss the connection, we miss the heart of God. And sometimes it's because we've missed the heart of God that we've missed the connection. We think that grace has to mean leniency. And so we go to, students do this to me all the time. It sounds impressive to say I teach in a seminary. I mean, it is kind of, I suppose, on one level. But on another level, it's like any other job. It's work. And students will come to me and they'll want grace. Do you think you could give me grace? What they always mean is I didn't do the assignment. Could you give me more time? And I've always wondered, why is, that, why is it grace for me to have to put myself out at the end of the grading period and have to stay up really late in order to get your grade turned in because it's the students who ask for more time who are going to be the ones who are mad at me when I don't have the grades in on time. And so why does that have to mean grace? Can't grace mean something other than that? Does grace have to mean leniency? Does grace have to mean chaos? Because think about leniency for a moment. If that's all you have, just leave it in academics, because I ask this of our teachers. If, if grace means that we just have no deadlines for anything, isn't that chaotic? Is that what grace is? is God, does God's grace mean that there's chaos and that you can go as fast as you want? You can maybe just put it in four-wheel drive and forget that roundabout, baby. Straight through, down in the middle. Is that grace? That doesn't sound like grace. That sounds more like stupidity. 
We confuse what grace means and we never really extend it out and we think we know what grace means. Grace requires, it, it is God's giving us of a covering, a shade, a canopy under which we flourish and blossom to become a fragrant offering for God. Grace is all about that. It's all about God putting up a tent. You're waiting for the tent, aren't you? We tried. It wouldn't fit. Turn with me, please, to Hosea chapter number 14. Hosea, Old Testament. Hosea, either the digital scriptures or the paper copy. If you don't have a paper copy and would like one, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you do not have a copy of the Bible but have a smartphone, you don't have a copy of the Bible because you don't want one. There are free copies on, in, in any format that you have for smartphones. I prefer Olive Tree. Some people prefer, prefer version. There are others other than that. Those seem to be the two that are most popular because those are the two that are the best. So if you would like one on a smartphone, just download it. In fact, by the time we get to reading the full passage, you could already have it in front of you there on your smartphone or other sorted electronic device. Hosea 14 talks about God's forgiveness. And it compares God's forgiveness in verse number 7 to a shade. My people will again live under my shade. It's an interesting word, shade. It could mean canopy. It could mean shadow. It could mean shade. It depends on the translation that you're reading. Um, it, essentially, since this was written in, in, in the middle of the desert, in the Middle East, the only thing, the only element from which they really needed protection is the sun. So that's what it said. If this had been in Seattle, it probably would have said something about rain and a shelter from rain. This had been someplace else. It could have, if this had been written in Siberia, it would have said an igloo. Because essentially, that's what this is saying. It's saying that it, you need some sort of protection from the elements. Isn't this a great umbrella? This is, a, this is um, the man test right here. Can you use your wife's umbrella as a sermon prop? At least it's not pink, right? Can you use it as a sermon prop and still be okay? You need some sort of a shelter. Some sort of a canopy of a shade, a covering. That's what God says that He is going to do. That my people will again live under that canopy of God's forgiveness. Grace is all about putting up that tent over your kids, Dad. Godly fathers fiercely create space so that their children can become the person God intends them to become. And that, because when we do that, we are following the pattern of our Heavenly Father. And as we follow the pattern of our Heavenly Father, we, we work, we, we, we create that space so that they can become who they ought to become. It will work in any relationship, and mothers probably do this also. They just probably don't fiercely contend quite well. Mother bears, maybe they're pretty tough creatures. But the best Christian fathers provide a canopy so that their children flourish and blossom into beautiful bouquets to become who God wants them to become. And Hosea talked about this. He prophesied that when the nation was beginning to wander away, and he told them, eventually you will come back and you will discover that covering. He reminded them of how they had been unfaithful and that even though they were unfaithful, their father would be faithful to them. And Hosea uses a lot of word pictures to try to help us understand that. In Hosea 13, verse number 4, he reminds them, that's where this whole thing really kicks off, and he reminds them that God is the one who brought them out of Egypt, that He's the one who delivered them. 
that He was their only Savior. Verse number 11 of Hosea chapter 13 is really important. That God is the only one who is capable of saving us. And then as it continues to unfold, He tells them that they will be punished for their wandering away. But then in a last gasp attempt, He tells them that if they will repent and turn from their wandering ways, that He will become that covering, that shade of protection for them. And they will discover that kind of protection to become who God wanted them to become. Verse number 2 of chapter 14. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to Him, Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. And then God will restore and will refresh. Two great words, restore and refresh. He will set all things right when we turn to Him. That is what, that is what the perfect Father on earth will do. How many of you had perfect fathers? Uh, me either. How many of you are perfect fathers? Uh, uh, most of us aren't willing to say that, are we? We don't always do this perfectly. We know that, by the way. You don't have to remind us that we don't do this perfectly. We already know that. But that's okay, because you don't always live under the shelter of our canopy perfectly either. How many of you, you lived under the shelter of your dad's canopy perfectly? Never wandered, never needed for him to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, come back over here where you belong. Not many of us. See, we, we all live in this state of not being quite where we ought to be all of the time, but being where we ought to be some of the time. That's why such a canopy doesn't really have walls. It's kind of open. You can leave, but then you come back underneath the shelter of that canopy because fathers are those who do that. They lead, they follow the lead of their heavenly father to fiercely create space so that their children blossom and flower in a beautiful bouquet. They let that canopy cover over the sin of their children. Not that their children don't need to repent on their own, but that they can, they can acknowledge the fact that their kids have done things they shouldn't have done, they can work through that, and then they can move on. They can find a cure for a wandering heart. They can help you cool down after life's fire has gotten a little too intense. They can create the right boundaries so that you know where you ought to be and, and where you shouldn't be. How many of you, your fathers were really good at creating boundaries? You knew exactly, you knew pretty much where you stood. If you were out of line, Dad had a way of letting you know you were out of line. Moms, I don't know. My mom could let you know when you're out of line, too. Just kind of this cold stare. My dad uh, was a pastor, and so when, and when we were young, Mom would play the organ, Dad would lead singing. And if we were out of line, Dad would just kind of put his hand right behind his back, snap his fingers, didn't have to be loud. We were watching, and we knew. Now or never. And those are the choices. You either got in the line now or you are never going to be the same after that. Godly fathers receive us in forgiveness. Godly fathers operate in forgiveness. Guys, that is not a weakness. That is a strength. Father, it is not a weakness to forgive your kids from their indiscretions. That's a strength. It doesn't make you a pushover. Stand tall when they have offended, but know when to release them from that offense. Say what you have to say. And you may have that. I mean, you may say that for an hour, right? But say what you got to say. But when you're done, move on. 
How many of your dad could do that? Say what he had to say, and then he was moving on. I mean, yes, no. Um, we are diminishing in people who are voting. <laughs> Participation is beginning to wane. Maybe we should poke each other or something like that. Uh, maybe if we were in class, I'd say 10-minute break. Let's say, but we can't really do that. We don't take breaks in the middle of sermons. So let's take, a, let's take a, a, a mental break. Instead of looking at my ugly face, look at someone next to you and just smile for a moment. There you go. Now we're back together, right? Forgiveness looks different for dad than it does for mom. For mom, it's hugs, cries, tears, and emotional catharsis. Dad, he looks at you and says, we're good. <laughs> How many of you, dad was not a man of many words? Uh, uh, um, yeah, not a, I mean, my dad was in some times and not in others. A Pentecostal preacher microphone, okay? The dad could... And go into the supermarket, dad would go in for three things and he'd spend an hour. Why? Well, he ran into this person and they got to chatting and then they saw someone else and they were talking and he figured that's what pastors were supposed to do. That's why I went to a big city because when I go in the supermarket, I don't see anyone who I have to stand and talk to for 35 minutes. I go in, I buy my grapes, my cherries, the milk, and then I'm done and I go out. That is grace, is it not? We're good. And then we move on. Forgiveness at its best provides a canopy for you to succeed because you know that when you mess up, yes, you do have to go stand in front of Dad and yeah, there may be a lecture, but when that's all over, Dad's going to say, we're good. And you're okay. And you can move on. Man, that's okay to do that. You don't have to hold on to it for the next 30 days crying about it every day for an hour. There's somebody else in the house who will do that for you. You're good. Someone has to move on. I'm not saying who it might be. There's a lot of options there. It could be the dog for all I know. You may disagree with me on this one, but, but, but think about one thing for a moment. You will never be more like Jesus than when you have been beaten, bruised, crucified, with, with, with nails in your hands and your feet. And you can still say, I forgive you. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive like Jesus. And when you can do that, you are discovering the true strength of godly fatherhood. Fathers, fathers live in that kind of a forgiveness. Where they understand the necessity of accountability but the mandate to be like their heavenly Father and to forgive. And then they bring back this restoration to faithfulness. Verse number 4 of Hosea. The Lord says, Then I will hear you. I will, I will heal you of your faithlessness. And my love will know no bounds and my anger will be gone forever. Grace-filled fathers fiercely create space so that their children blossom and flower into a beautiful bouquet. And they do that by restoring you into your, into faithfulness. Part of the restoration process for fathers is to talk about it. It's usually just in a monologue of nature, as I've said. They're not going to talk something out. They're going to come to the point. They're going to say their piece and then they're going to move on. It's just sometimes that way. But that's a part of the restoration process. The restoration process is essential for the building of a canopy. 
If you can't restore from faithlessness, you don't have an adequate canopy. They don't have the security of knowing that when they mess up, they can go and they will eventually find restoration. The poet said that home is a place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. It's all I remember from high school English, but I remembered that. Fathers are the people who, when you have screwed up, they are the ones who you go to. And you know that Dad will eventually be okay with this. He's going to say his piece. He may not like it, but you can move on. The restoration process is essential for your kids, Dad. Is there anything worse than a kid who looks back and says, Dad's never said anything in the last 20 years. I messed up and that was it. And Dad doesn't... Well, oh, that's just painful. Just painful. Return to the relationship and make it even better. Never let a good crisis in your kid's life go to waste. Because you can be so much closer at the end of it than you were at the beginning if you just walk through a process with them. A process that begins with accountability and moves to forgiveness and then moves to restoration. Fathers sometimes struggle with those things. This is where fathers and their anger come in. And this is where we lose sight of the, of the whole process of grace. I would ask, but I'm afraid of the response. How many of you, your fathers, could really get angry? I don't think I want to know that. I don't want to have you ask. Especially if your father's in the room. I don't want to ask you, did your father struggle with anger issues? Okay, but men, how many of you at one point in time in your life, you could really get angry? Yeah, me too. When, when we were dating and we were in college, we would play cards with some really good friends. Um, Joel Hammy, who just I, I hired to, to teach in our, in our college. And, and Jim Cluett and uh, Gene Kaufman, who's a pastor in Kansas. And... Um, and a few others, Michael Anderson, who I believe is selling insurance in Florida, and some great, great people, and we play cards, and I got really angry one night and tipped over the table in the student union at a Bible college. I'm lucky that they didn't bring me into the disciplinary committee and suggest that I have anger management. Anger management, because I think Bracey Hill was the chair of it. He was a Texan. Anger management would have been the right foot, appropriately applied. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it wasn't a pretty, pretty moment not particularly proud of that kind of... You can get better. Young wife, there's hope for your husband. Eventually. Love him. Be patient with him. He can, he can move beyond that. Gentlemen, don't, don't use the fact that most every man's hand went up as an excuse to wallow in your own anger and resentment that causes you to get angry. Move beyond those issues from the past. Because you can never become the shade and the canopy for your family if every time they walk underneath that shade, they're afraid that you're going to blow up at them. That just can't work. That doesn't provide them with the security that they need. They need to know that, when, that, that your anger has a point. And they need you to control it. And if you can't, walk away and come back when you can. That right there, if you could do that, I'll save your marriage if you do that. Okay? You don't even have to pay me anything. Best marriage counseling that you can get right here, men. All right? When you get angry, if you can't deal with the conversation, walk away and come back when you can. Life will be better. You just can't wait three months. No, I'm still working through it. No, that doesn't really work. Okay? You can't quite wait that long. But if you can't control where you're at, you do have to come to a point where you can. And then you can build that, sh that, that shade, that canopy. And it can become more than just an umbrella. It can become this fantastic tent. It can become an ice shanty. 
Something that you will put out, that you could be proud to put out in the middle of Lake Michigan, confident that you will survive. Hello, California friends who are watching this. You'll never get that one. Dads also refresh us. Verse number 5. Isaiah 14, verse number 5. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily, sending roots down deep. Fathers, how many of you would do anything to protect your kids? Lower participation than I expected. If you felt like your kids were in danger, how many of you would get in the car and just start driving immediately? You bet. How many of you would dive into the water to save your kids? Kids, yes. Other people, I don't know about that. but Because I, I don't swim. But dive into the water to try to save my kids, yes, absolutely. We may not do other things very well when it comes to refreshing, but we do protection really well. We create space for growth because we protect. Okay, fathers, this is your moment to shine, all right? How many of you dads have daughters? How many of you will fiercely protect your daughter from that young man who wants to come over? (laughs) You better believe it. I've got a list of questions, and and if worse comes to worse, we will do it with me sitting behind the desk and you on the other side. I can be very intimidating in that environment. I don't even feel bad about it. I feel like I'm exercising God's grace. Pastor Mitch, you've got the perfect desk back there. You are like surrounded with desks. You can bring him in and just stare for 30 seconds and say, I love my daughter more than you ever will. I've got a minivan that you fit in the back of. Remember that. And if you, and if you ever question that, I know Richie Silver. And he'll do what I ask. Dad, that's actually a part of your God-given job. Part of providing that shade, that canopy, is to provide that kind of protection. You're just doing what God wanted you to do. You are in God's will when you ask those questions of that young man. You are also in God's will when you walk her down the aisle when she's found the right one and you say, you have found the right one, honey. I'm really glad that he's going to come into our family. You are in God's will when you say that too. Pastor Pete thinks that you're in God's will when you say no when he asks if you can marry your daughter. I mean, you can say no a number of times, right, Doris? You don't have to say yes immediately. That could be part of God's process for the young man. I joke, kind of. We may not do other types of refreshing very well. You know, I don't do fluff very well. I don't fluff up your pillows pretty well. I don't put spritz on the flowers, so to speak. I don't kiss the wounds. Go see mom, all right? I don't do that stuff really well. One, one day, one of my children, the middle one, came to me with, an, with a boo-boo. She was really young. It was in a place that there was no way I was kissing. And she wanted me to kiss it and make it better. That's when I invented this thing. I just kissed her nose and I said, it's okay because your nose knows where that kiss needs to go and that will be just fine. But fathers, we do protect, and that's part of a canopy's job, right? We do prune. We do that pretty well. We do stimulate roots so that you can become more stable. That's part of the, you brought me one bolt I need. We're building a deck here. What, are we going to do this one screw at a time? 
You're going to have to run back to the shed for every one of these things? Just bring the whole box next time. We provide the canopy so that our children will grow to become who they ought to be. And you are a grace-filled father when you do that. You are a grace-filled father when you protect your child's identity development. When you protect your daughter from guys who would take advantage of them. When you protect your son and you teach your son how to treat a lady so he doesn't take advantage of her. Dad, that's your job. And they learn that by the way that you treat mom. And if they see you treating mom poorly, they will think that's the way that they should grow up to treat your future daughter-in-law. The mother of your grandkids. Teach your sons a little bit better than that. You owe it to them and to everyone else. When you give your kids a chance to fail, you are protecting them. Giving them a chance to fail so that they eventually succeed. Okay, how many of you, your kids are, are a little older now. And you look back and you say, Alright, I let my kids fail at one point in time, telling them I think this is the wrong decision. But I let them do it so that eventually they would learn and they might succeed. Dads, how many of you have done that? Dads, moms? Yeah, see, we do that. That's part of being a grace-filled father. Dads, just take that hand that you raised, pat yourself on the back for a moment. Because that's what a grace-filled father is supposed to do. Not micromanage, not tell you everything that you ought to do, but to provide the protection so that you could be restored, so that you could be refreshed, so that they could reset a path for fruitfulness, so that you someday would thrive. Verse number 8 and 9, O Israel, stay away from idols. I'm the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I'm like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right. The righteous people will live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. Men, how many of you would like your kids to blossom like a flower? That's what you want. Absolutely. How many of you want your kids to be stable? Absolutely. How many of you want your kids tossed around like, like there's no anchor in their life? Does anybody really want that? I don't think anyone wants that. How many of you want the Word of God to help develop your kids? Absolutely, that's what I want. How many of you want beautiful lives for your children? Wives, lives, you know. Doesn't everybody want a beautiful, stable life for their kids? No one wants their kids to be unstable. No one wants their kids to be tossed around. All good Christians want their kids to be shaped by God's Word. Fathers provide the kind of grounding and stability that we need in order to get there. Mothers can also, but men are uniquely hardwired to provide that kind of stability. We're good at things like encouraging responsibility. We may not always be quite so responsible ourselves, but we're really good at encouraging the responsibility. You know, the two pair of socks on the floor. One's the lecture and the other one's mine. We are good from keeping our, our kids from becoming too fickle. Who is it who will say when they want to quit soccer, no, you said you're going to do it, you're going to do it. We are good at those kinds of things. Okay, so some of us aren't quite as good as we ought to be. But we can grow to become that because that's what our kids need. That's how you build a shade for your children. That's how you build that godly canopy of grace over your kids' lives. And fruitfulness comes from that kind of stability of character. 
At any time, someone, whether they are a child of God or not, lives that out. They are mirroring God's grace as a heavenly father. You do it best when you look to your heavenly father for guidance on how to do it. You do it best when you live in God's grace and you then give grace to other people. You do it best when you live under His canopy, His umbrella, His tent. And that's what He really wants for you. If He has not yet become that Father for you, the one who you can look to, today is your day. If He has not become your shade in your life so that you can live under the Heavenly Father's shade, today is the day for you to do that. He is the one who equips us to be the Father that He wants us to be and the ones that we want to be. And so I want to give you an opportunity today to make a decision and to, make a, to, to take a stand and to say, I will be and I won't be. Fathers, if you want to take a pledge today to become the kind of person, the kind who provides a canopy for their children to grow, would you just please raise your hand quickly? Great, thanks. You, you can put them down. Um, if you raise your hand, would you please stand? I want to be that kind of father. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to... Wives inside, you should be giving them a standing ovation. That's what you wanted, isn't it? The kind of father that you wanted to marry. The kind of dad you wanted for your kids. We may not do it perfectly, but we are about to take a promise, a sacred pledge that we are going to try to do this. So repeat this after me, please, gentlemen. I promise... Oh, please... Like there's some testosterone left in the body, huh? Give it the old military try, sharp, okay? Are you ready? I promise to fiercely create space so that my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren may blossom and flower into a beautiful bouquet. If you want to support the, the men standing around you who made that pledge, would you just stand and pray along with me for them? God, we pray for godly fathers in this room who today are saying they want to provide that kind of space for their kids. We want to support them. God, we want them to become all that they are supposed to be inside of you. God, we want them to become the person you wanted them to become. We want to support them and love them and pray for them until they get there. So God, I pray for every father in this room. The ones who are not necessarily doing this the way they ought to, but want to do it. And the ones who are really doing a pretty good job. God, I applaud them all. God, I ask for an outpouring of your love upon these men. I ask that you would touch them, that you'd pour your heart into them, that you'd equip them so that not only is this a church who cares, but this is a church who cares because the fathers provide a canopy for their children. God, I pray that you would pour out your grace upon us in a great and a powerful way so that we would make decisions on a continuous basis to live lives that are led by you. And now, my friends, with everyone's eye closed, so that, so that someone around you can make a very personal decision, I want to give you just, uh, just 30 more seconds, if you would, if you'd allow me, please, and give you an opportunity to say, you know, I, I may have wandered out from underneath God's shelter. And I'd like to come back. 
that's you and you're not living underneath God's grace, God's shelter, and you want His forgiveness in your life, His restoration, would you, would you just raise your hand up? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite living underneath God's grace and I'd like to, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. Thanks. A couple of hands have gone up. Would everybody repeat this after me? There's nothing magical about the prayer. It's just a prayer of commitment. And I'm going to ask everybody to do it so that we can support those who have raised their hand. Dear God, I love you. And I may not have lived like I should. I have done things that disappoint you. I have wandered away from your love. But today I want to come back. I want your forgiveness. I want your restoration. I want to become fruitful for you. I want my life to be a beautiful bouquet. Would you forgive me of my sin? Help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. I am so glad that you chose to worship here with us at Fort Peter today. I recognize not only that there are a lot of things you could have been doing, but that when you decide to go to church, that you have options and choices. I'm grateful that you chose to come here. If you do not have a church that you regularly attend, this is a fantastic place. Obviously, I left the staff and I still attend here. So I obviously think this is a great place to be. This is a place where when you need to go to some place and you want to go to church, if you're really not sure, this is the place to be. This is the place to be. And when you know that you want to go to church and you really want to, you really want to do something for God, this is the place to be. A fantastic place to be. And if, if you have any questions about things here at Fort View, I encourage you to see the men that you've seen up here today. Talk to Pastor Mitch, talk to Pastor Chris, two fantastic brothers. Wherever I go on this planet, I will probably never work with a staff that's as good as this one is here. I, I really mean that. They are, they are on top of everything. I simply say, you know, I think I want a tent. And I walk in Wednesday and there's a tent waiting for me. And three, and three guys, staff members, saying, let's see if this will work. I, they, no one does that. They're just so incredibly effective in what they do. And I have so much love being part of the team. I will miss it so much. Um, I, I am really grateful that you are going to spend Father's Day talking to your dad. So before you go to bed tonight, make sure you call your dad. You tell him I love him. And he'll say, I know. And you know what that means? They mean, we're good. And that's what you really want, isn't it? Hey, before you leave here today, shake a dad's hand. You know, we may not be into hugging. Just shake our hand, and that'll be enough. We'll know what you mean. We'll know that you're saying that you're in our corner. Before you leave here today, make sure that you do that. Thank you. If you'd like prayer, pastoral staff will be up here at the end for prayer. And they'll be happy to pray for you. God bless you. Have a great day.